0: welcome to another episode of the untangling web3 podcast today we're honored to have julian kwan co-founder of eight companies across social media real estate prop tech and blockchain he is focused on building key infrastructure connecting DeFi and tradfi Julian is the co-founder and CEO of InvestorX, the leading tokenization SaaS platform in Asia, and IXSwap, which is the first automated market maker for real-world asset and security token offerings. Julian is also the host of the Infinity and Beyond podcast. Welcome to the show, Julian. Thanks, guys. appreciate you having me on and getting up early.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Julian. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited for this episode. So first things first, can you give us a real quick intro to yourself and your background, your career, and really what led you into the world of tokenization and Web3 now. Sure. And
2: thanks for joining everyone here in the Untangling Web, Web3 Web podcast, we kind of did the same thing on, on my own one, which is just trying to break it all down, explain it, um, clarify what's, what's interesting, what's the opportunity, what's the challenges. There's a lot going on. Um, so yeah, a quick background, I'm Sydney, born and raised and then Beijing and Shanghai for 13 years. I I went to study some Chinese and then went back to Sydney and got bored in a week and went one way back to <laughs> to Shanghai and started a company that week. Uh, it ended up um, becoming very successful. It, it ended up, it started as alternative advertising. We did the very first SMSs in the world when they were like text message, like um, you know, buy pizza with like, you know, maximum 10 characters or something. So right before smartphones. It ended up it's called Mailman and ended up um, representing all the MBA and EPL um, social media channels in China because it's a different world, right? You can't use Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I sold out of that and we moved to into real estate and did a did the first carbon neutral boutique hotel development in Asia and a bunch of co-working and then real estate funds, but really wanted to get into the online space. So about eight or nine years ago moved to singapore because i wanted to stay in asia and develop one of the first online investment platforms and the first one that was the first iteration i guess of, of investor x which began as investor crowd and it was modeled off the very first us real estate crowdfunding platforms uh so we we set that up and we put money into about 30 different private equity real estate deals and had a like got a license off one of the first online investment licenses singapore is very pro fintech, mm-hmm. and Hong Kong was very anti. So that was kind of the choice for regulation. Um, and so during that journey, we realized that behind that first generation of platforms is quite low tech. So if you think about equity, crowdfunding, P2P lending, those platforms, um, the first generations were very much a marketing machine. Yes, there were some great things. You'd, you'd look at deals, you could invest all over the line that was on, you know, it was online, you can invest all over the world, you can assess deals. But you actually signed a piece of paper, like once you wanted to do it. And typically yeah. at least for real estate, you know, sit on it and do nothing for seven years and we might get back to you. So we hadn't solved liquidity issues. We hadn't, re- we, 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 we left a lot on the table. So 2017, 18 with the ICO boom, it was like, okay, this is, this makes a lot of sense to me. We should use this to wrap real world assets uh, in a world of digital currencies. We should have a world of digital securities. And if they come together, we're going to have a whole new world of investment products, and that's going to be the biggest opportunity in finance. So what does that mean? Um, we kind of embarked over the last four and a half, five years to stitch all the necessary infrastructure together to make kind of a one-stop shop where any investment firm can push a button and legally, compliantly issue, trade, custodize any type of security token, real-world asset token. It's important to, and that's been the mission at Investor X, and it's important as well that now we're using RWA, real-world assets, that's like the seventh term that the industry's used since two thousand and eighteen, ICOs that were then becoming STOs, then tokenized securities, and then um, security token offerings, and then we had, you know, asset-backed tokens, and um, you know now we're we're back to RW, we're now at RWA, which is essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what what's really different now is that we used to get laughed out of all the crypto events because you know if you're going to go build security tokens, you think, you know, you need to go on, you need to go to blockchain bits. And no one was talking about that. Everyone said, you know, STOs are stupid and made no sense. But anyway, that's actually literally what happened. And now like this week, I just saw the CEO of Franklin Templeton saying, Bitcoin's a fantastic distraction from the biggest opportunity in finance, which is tokenizing securities. And it was like, yay. Larry Fink from BlackRock says the same thing. Yeah. Just he's on our newsletter. Actually, he subscribed by himself. So, um, We've been shilling his name around because, you know, one of the biggest firms <laughs> out there, but for me, it was just very obvious. So, and then the next thing we did was we thought, okay, if in a world, if you believe in a world of tokenized assets and, and, you know, there's a whole bucket here, right? Like there's the bitcoins, the ethereums the alternative kinds of NFTs and doubts, and then there's the security tokens, real world asset tokens. And if they're all the shit on the same protocols, they're all living in the same universe, which is the, the, whole, the whole point of doing this. But when we thought about it, we said, okay. Actually, if you go back to 2018, everyone used to be saying, like, what's the what's the point of this? What's in, why, why tokenize any asset? It was like, oh, liquidity for liquid assets. That was pretty much the only thing people said. The problem was is there was no infrastructure to issue and trade them, and there was no market making, so therefore there was no liquidity. So that issue, that problem was kicked down the road. And so by early 21, and it took us four years to get our security token exchange license in Singapore, so before we would even had it, um, we were like, we've got to try to solve this problem ourselves because the crypto market makers are not licensed to market make security tokens and the security market makers are trying to work out what blockchain is. They're all coming right. for the space, but it's, that was the crux of the problem. One of the problems, that was the crux of one of the problems. So, anyway, so if you think about like the tokenized assets, it's like all the real estate, all the VCs, all the startups. nothing mm-hmm. about millions of assets, which there will be um, because we're going to be done mm-hmm. with paper. That That is the digital versus paper value proposition is the 101 of this whole thing. And in that world, then you think, well, most of these assets want trading, but they're not exchange traded products. So your $20,000 startup STOs, you know, my whatever, hundred million dollar real estate fund, there's going to be too many assets. The top 1% will probably sit in security token exchanges with traditional market makers, just like the biggest startups, gets to going to NASDAQ and everyone else is trading yeah. phone calls on paper. But so if you think about that, then you start thinking, all right, that is actually a bigger problem, like multiple times, hundred times bigger than the same problem that crypto had in 2017. So in 2017, mm-hmm. i like, I just give an extreme example, because it's easier for people to understand. If you're a top 10 coin, you're on Coinbase and finance, and you, you had lots of money and you paid a million dollars to list, and market maker's life was amazing. If you were 10,000 altcoins, um, you sat on the DEX, the decentralized exchange, which actually is just a swap platform, and nothing was for sale, which is better than a paper version, which is impossible with ICOs. But you know, the point was is that there wasn't any liquidity. So 2018, the launch of what I still consider to be probably the best innovation in centralized financials, Uniswap, where they said, okay, smart contracts to crypto, anyone with the crypto, again, I'm simplifying it, can start a liquidity pool. Mm-hmm. And, and then when someone comes to the front of the decks, we don't have an order book and matching engine because it's not a traditional market maker. It's a pool of value of coins, um, algorithmically driven by just getting given a price, right? ABC token to USDC. Okay. Yeah. And anyone who has those coins can join the liquidity pool share in the market making fees. And, then, but, but essentially anyone who has a coin can start the liquidity pool. that was the innovation and then mm. zero to hero on, on, on liquidity. Um, and so we we said, okay, well, you know, could we build the Uniswap for security mm-hmm. tokens? And what would that mean? You know, could anyone with a security token start a liquidity pool and and fast, and cheap, and low cost? And ha- what would that mean? You know, and, and so what it meant was we'd forked the Uniswap code. We'd start with version one. And by this stage, they're on version three because um, it started, you know, two, three years before. Yeah. And the high, so essentially what it does how it operates. It's just like Uniswap, but behind the smart contracts, there's a security token broker and a security token custodian. So there's a legal pool and a legal trade. So that's the difference. Uniswap can't do security tokens because they don't have licenses. But so right. then we sort of stitched all that kind of infrastructure together. And that's how we got to
0: today, really. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, that's a fascinating story. Thanks for the history, because it, it sounds like you've been, you know, in the weeds for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah I'm curious about how you're saying the the difference between define and uniswap and then what you guys are doing is that you said you've had this infrastructure that sits below the the smart contract is that like a centralized infrastructure that's run by you guys and that's the yeah, so requirement for the, the kind of the regulatory side
2: yeah so what we do is essentially very much you know our industry they come up with new terms every day and it's conf- it's confusing the audience but essentially we are more web 2.5 because right. we do need call it web two securities, you know, KYC, whatever it is, real estate funds, fund managers, like all that stuff is still there. But then web three technology, you know, blockchains and protocols. So we're issuing these assets on these protocols, which is why it sticks together. And you need to pass these securities through licensed entities that also have the technology. So, so that's why I say we're kind of 2.5 because we connect the dots. And you know, what, what IX swap is, it's essentially you know, operates like a decentralized exchange, but there are certain parts of the transactions that need to go through, you know, these, these license entities. But we built it to have exactly in brackets as close to the UX UI that Uniswap has and the crypto has. Um, okay. But so that, that's kind of how, how it operates. And as you guys know, there's now, so has been convergence as well, because, you know, the one thing that's, I think is, is really exciting, and I've been, we've been saying this for a long time, um, I think we did the first security token event in 2018 in Asia, and there was like five old guys turn up for free spring rolls. And they, they were like, This you know, sounds great, you know. I was like, All right, uh, so let me break it down to why I think tokenization is so valuable and what what's mm-hmm. the real proposition here because most people are sitting here saying digital versus paper and blockchains are mutable and it's great. Mm-hmm. Nah, that's like 101, right? The second, second most important thing is that. We're going to be if you issue security tokens on public protocols then you have, you can plug into the power of decentralized finance and automated market making models we built IX swap to even prove that that's happened. So you can take your little startup share or whatever it is and you can start a, a liquidity pool never happened before in the history of the universe. this is powerful and, and it's going it's, it's powerful and it's magic it's great. but there's then there's like if you if you issue tokenized securities versus paid securities, you have the ability to lend borrow and stake those assets. That's also something that's coming down the pipeline that's just beginning. This will be much bigger than the trading volume of security tokens, because if I could take my VC fund token and go and lend it to you and get a yield on it or vice versa, however it wants to work, versus I'm gonna wait 18 years to get my exit from the VC fund, that's really, really powerful. And that's actually why JPMorgan's Morgan's Onyx platforms, tokenizing publicly traded assets, Not because they don't trade, but because they're very hard to use in a lending and borrowing environment. So that's really powerful. And then you have new investment products. So the best analogy I like to give everyone is the ETF structure. So 1989, the first ETF uh, actually considered a failure is a $6 million. And now the ETF industry is somewhere between six and $8 trillion. Like it's massive, right? So in 25, 30 years, it's, it's grown from nothing. Again, zero to hero, but that was a new technology marrying with a marketplace. So now mm-hmm. what they are saying is, here's the new technology, token security tokens, real world assets, blockchain, marrying with the existing private markets, eight you know the trillions and trillions of dollars of, of, of that. Then we're going to see an explosion of value, and we're going to see new. So you can create new investment products. So a new version of a, a, real, a VC 2.0, I call it, or real estate 2.0, or tokenizing your ESOPs, which we've done, so our team can trade. New investment structures will give us a whole new world of assets and a whole new way of investing into real estate, private equity, everything. That's massive, just on its own. And then the last one I've got, and I'm not going to try and think of any more because it's, <laughs> it's too the last one is new distribution channels. So if you try to sell a, a startup share, even a VC fund, um, which is probably more relevant to this world, into you know a private bank or a wealth manager or a money manager, like there's no one's ever going to do it. Those worlds only invest, buy and sell assets for their captive investor base that are basically mm-hmm. public traded, right? right? Digital, liquid marketplace compliance. They can get paid. They can screw a lot of their clients over by, by keeping them inside this loop, right? But anyway, the point is that um, they all started selling Bitcoin, Ethereum, and the next evolutions real world asset tokens, which is actually something they should understand a lot better because we're not coming in saying mm. better than the US dollar. We're coming in and saying, here's this huge assets that you guys never sell because you can't get paid in the same format that you're used to using. And these guys pay way bigger margins because it's private assets. I'll give you an example of that. What can a private banker charge a client to trade a stock these days? Nothing. Or maybe mm-hmm. one basis point or five basis points. You can do it. We all do it ourselves on our phones. Like, well, what's the stockbroker do? Well, if I can go, I can go to a private bank and say, if you raise money for for Jack's tokenized startup, he'll pay 500 basis points. Because that's mm-hmm. what he pay, right? So yeah. now, high private banks, 500 times the margins from a product. That's pretty exciting. Uh, but that's just that side. That's the TradFi side. On the other side, you have the DeFi side. So if FTX, Binance, Bitfinex, someone else, a year and a half ago or longer, they started launching security tokens in the form of tokenized stocks. They didn't do it properly because they didn't have licenses. They're doing all the stuff that we're doing. So they pulled them all down. But essentially, this is what platforms do. That's what banks do, right? They get a huge audience to start selling as many things as they can. So the the, the Coinbase is of this world now. And Coinbase is one of our investors. And we've just integrated with Coinbase Wallet and Coinbase Protocol. The 15,000 institutions are asking for real-world asset services. And we're going to be preferred partner in Asia. Um, but the point is that, you know, Coinbase has 110 million retail wallets and 15,000 institutions. like, And they're selling crypto already, so they get it. And now what's next? The next evolution is trillions of dollars of assets. And it's the same for, I don't know, you guys might not use this, but out here, the Southeast Asian version. This is one last example on this topic. The, the Southeast Asian version of Uber is called Grab, uh, group, uh, mm. Grab, and Grab mm. won the battle between DD and China and Uber in Southeast Asia. Anyway, Grab's got something like two hundred eighty million wallets, right? And they first did Grab Finance, which was basically put the change from your, you know, your cab fare into a interest, you know, some kind of deposit thing. Now it's crypto. They're adding, and then then they add security tokens. And then you start seeing Grab Finance selling security tokens to 280 million people. So, the distribution channels for this are dramatically, mm-hmm. changed, like dramatically changed, like worlds and worlds and worlds apart. And then Standard Chartered and DBS all launch crypto exchanges, and then the crypto guys are coming for. It. So the tradfi and the DeFi guys are going to start competing much more closely, mm-hmm. and
0: that's okay. that's great for security tokens, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Thanks that is extremely exciting. I really like how when you, when you kind of gave credit to the idea of web 2.5 and especially with these traditional kind of large entities, the idea of web3 might seem quite revolutionary and probably sometimes maybe a step too far and you have to take these companies a longer journey. But kind of yeah. on that note, I want to ask like how would you distinguish between say traditional token systems and you know web 3 tokenizations and how do you kind of put that across to say the layman, which I imagine you have to interact with a lot in this kind of area maybe you know i think so what we've tried to we spend all day trying to simplify right
2: and it's like okay Mm -hmm. what's different now and why we're having this conversation is because in 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 i'll give i give the short history of the space because i think that paints a better picture so in 2017 we had the first stos i think that the sec in america was partly responsible for coining the term sto because they were like hey those ico things are securities they're not initial coin offerings they're security coin offerings but Mm. STO better, you know, and then people went, oh, STOs are illegal. The SEC is finding people and they were like, no, 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 the ICO, the initial coin offering was considered a security by all its features. And we're going to fine you because you didn't follow the rules like everyone else has to. And then so there's this huge misconception that security tokens were illegal. You do not need new regulations for security tokens. Why? Because securities. Regulations exist, and securities regulations do not reference paper, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. They
2: don't say when you sell real estate to someone written on a piece of paper. It just says when you sell real estate to someone, or when you custodize real estate, or when you trade real estate. Never says on paper. So that was mad confusion. And at the same time, of course, you had you know the actual cryptocurrency, so not security tokens like. You know, growing across the world and also mad confusion in every single country. What is it and what's the regulation, how it works? So in 2018, we had kind of the birth of these STOs. And I use STO, I don't use RWA, it's harder to say, but it's the same thing. Real world asset tokens, security tokens. Then you had the first infrastructure companies that could help people tokenize assets. And what did they do? They were just tech companies. They left, they they promoted all the value of what we're talking about here, but they couldn't do any of it because, except the token issuance part, because raising money, trading, custody, AMMs, et cetera, that's all regulated activities. It has securities licenses around them. But that's where it began because that was the easiest thing to do. All the venture capital guys piled in thinking this is going to be the next crypto, whatever they thought. And then the actual volume went down in 2019 because more and more of the issuers realized that, okay, so you know, pay this money in token, I said, where's the exchange and where's the trading and where's, and it's like, oh yeah, was, yeah we don't really do any of that. So it used to frustrate the hell out of me, but anyway, that's what happened. And then in 2019, 20, you had the first security token exchanges. So that was T0 in the US, the Singapore model, kind of ADDX. They're necessary infrastructure for the greater good of the industry, but they also are very limited on value proposition because they didn't help on the primary issuance. So they're waiting for fully funded security tokens to fall out of the sky that are apparently on the right protocol rails. And a lot of these guys did private chains and everything we talk about in this podcast is generally, is not possible on a private blockchain. Everything I'm talking about today is on public blockchains. And so there was no market makers because they needed market makers with licenses who go on to the regular right market making security tokens you know what? how do we go so and here's the fee structure you know and and so mm-hmm. people were like well tokenizing private assets kind of looks and feels like publicly traded assets and mm. you know in, in when that when we work this on nasdaq that's great right and 100 million dollars of fees but there's all this money around and when a new world and a new industry there's all this money's not around mm. so the
0: structure's out of whack.
1: that's interesting so you had you had like the crypto wild west but there there was no one really willing to try and solve the whole problem for security tokens offerings, right? And
2: well,
0: there were people so.
2: working on it, but it was like if in 2018, yeah. you know, we we had the broker and we were trying to build the token issuance and then trying to work out, you know, what's legal, what's not, all that kind of, like, how's it going to work? And then you started getting more infrastructure. So then along came the security token exchanges, um, but their model is challenged. Then you start having more security token issuance companies that had a broker dealer license, Coke could then start to actually legally launch them and raise capital. So that started going on in 2021, 22. And then now, you know, around the world, there's there's a lot more players that have spent, you know, so the industry is only four or five years old. But in the last couple of years, a lot of people have worked out some kind of licensing, which makes it a lot better for everyone. And so with that in mind, that was, that's and that's why now the key reasons why we're having this discussion now and everyone's getting excited. Uh, because number one is that there's all this infrastructure there that has mm-hmm. taken years to come together. Like four years ago, no custodian in the world for security tokens. Now I could name like 10, right? And and I'm sure there's more that I don't know about. So that was the first main reason. The second main reason was because this is all my thoughts as well, but it's because it like last year, the DeFi meltdown and with all the blocks in decentralized finance and nowhere to get yield, right? So there's billions of dollars of stable coins because a lot of the crypto guys don't want to go into the banking system, the fiat system. Um, so that's why there's hundreds of billions of dollars of stable coins and they're only earning their money. So then along at the beginning of this year, there became the first tokenized treasury bills, tokenized money market instruments that were paying like 5% interest. So then this was the greatest yield in crypto. So all these crypto guys started buying real-world asset tokens, which is tokenized T bills security mm-hmm. tokens. So, so you've had both the TradFi guys that were always going to come, but you've also had the crypto guys who actually are buying them and now saying, oh, these don't suck anymore. Oh, this is actually a real use case. Oh, we can make money and hey, we should, this is great. Let's do more stuff. So that's kind of. Why it's finally happening, and it couldn't have come sooner because it's been like four years of pain waiting for everyone to kind of get <laughs> <a> f- <laughs> <laughs> this that's,
0: that's, that's point. Julian, as you say, so what is the role that investor X plays in this entire journey? Then, right now, what's the problem that you think that you're solving?
2: Yeah, so so if you think about uh, just what I just said, so token issuance leaves a lot of problems on the table. Security token exchange leaves a lot of uh, problems on the table. Even security token broker only leaves problems on the table. So we said, all right, let's get all the licenses. Let's stitch it all together. Let's throw away, um, you know, here's the 50 fee structures whilst we do all these things. Cause there is a justification advising, structuring, listing, issuing trade. Cause I mean, there's a justification for all these fees, but the world, you know, these TradFi guys are pretty hopeless. Like, you know, you need to simplify stuff for them. They're just not really going to get it. So we, we stitched it all together and we said what people really want, and we've got, a thousand discussions i we've got a lot of people in our network. People want a low cost. They want to co-brand a section. They want to be in. They don't want any technical integration. They don't, most of them don't care how the technology works. They don't want any new licenses and they want to be able to issue trade and do everything and liquidity was all in one place. And then I just topped it off by saying, and it's a low monthly subscription fee and all the batteries are included. Mm-hmm. So we give everyone the lowest possible price, the most flexibility, the least amount of work and that's what Investor X does. And then IX swap provides the market making pools, which no one else has yet. But people are starting to finally understand that the AMM model is is going to be the dominant for, I believe this, but you know, now DBS, JP Morgan, they're all writing papers on it about the potential for it, even though we've built one, it's like, this, this is going to be the dominating market making model for security tokens, because most security tokens are going to be private market assets that don't belong in an exchange anyway. So if you mm. can and let anyone start their own liquidity pool. We just did one last week. We did a someone, someone had a $50,000 share of a secondary like a fintech company. And we started a $10,000 liquidity pool on IX Swap. Now, how much liquidity is there? Hardly anything. But the point is that like, when have you ever been able to create liquidity for a secondary token and an ability for people to buy and sell it for a dollar? It's it's amazing. Um, we need more capital and partners and all the mm-hmm. fun stuff to grow. But, yeah. So that's how we position ourselves in the, in the ecosystem. And the other thing I like, I want to say is that, um, you know, years ago, one of the reasons it took us a very long time to get you know, some of our licenses, we have like six now is because from day one, we were super pro public protocols because that's mm-hmm. where all the assets are issued. And a lot of other groups in the real world assets, space, a lot of the groups you might've just heard of this year, don't have any licenses and they better go get them or something's going to go down. But. Anyway, I'm supportive of all the crazy innovation and new platforms, but for the guys that do have licenses, that means they started years ago, most of them went and built on their own private blockchain um, because most of them were TradFi guys and most of them, and they know it's easy to get a license because you just say to the regulator, you know, how's all your tech work? And it's like, oh, it's fine. I'm just delete it and whatever you want me to say, I'll say it, right? Versus I'm going to issue these assets on this public protocol and have them, what happens at protocol fails and, you know, a gas fee supporting terrorism and, you know, all this ridiculous mm. stuff. But anyway, we kept pushing on that and, you know, big ups to Singapore government. That's why I'm still here. i mean, it's a great place, but like, we went to them and we said, no, public protocols, like it's not about private chains. There's no different. It's 5% better than the old version. Like all the assets are on public chains and all the innovations there, all the developers are there, all the brains trust is there, all the products are there. And we're just getting started on the products. Like in in 2018, when we started in this particular focus, there were no NFTs. There were hardly any DAOs. I say hardly any, it was like one or two, but it wasn't like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there there wasn't any market AMM models. And, you know, which blockchain's proven a blockchain high level, it's proving that as a technology stack, we're just going to keep rolling out new things. It's going to be, which is exciting and it's great. But again, you can't do any of that if you're just sitting on your own little project, even all the stable coins, right? Like all the stable coins are on public protocols, or well, the ones that matter, right? So that was key because public, all the stuff we're talking about, all this value proposition that we're here today is, that's why, you know, it's very much the Web3 DNA of the whole, you know, the whole space. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, how, that's how we believe in it. Um, and, you know, and many people say, well, go on, like, this isn't going to work. This is the wrong way. No one's going to issue an asset on it. And it's just finally, that's not I sure think Franklin Templeton, CEO, they're like $1.5 trillion finance company. And even for people that hate TradFi for whatever reasons, um, the CEO was like, public chains are going to dominate, That that they're going to overtake, no one's going to care about private chains basically. And I was just like, yay, you know, five <laughs> years to get, to get that Um So yeah, so anyways, but that's important because I think that, um, you know, that, that's where you should be looking to try things out, to to get started, like, Go start in the right space at least, uh, and take but, it
1: from there. That's super interesting that you say that, right? Because I I think this is one of those 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 things that are some. There's a group of people who've been touting this. You know, like we should be going public. You know, a lot of case proof of work as well, blockchains, and there a lot of detractors for a lot of different reasons about public blockchain being the infrastructure that we need. But I think it sounds like you agree with what we think is that, that is kind of the. That has the highest value proposition that that has the fundamentals that you need to make any of this worthwhile right to have peer-to-peer exchange immutable data that you can do all this this cool stuff on so yeah it's really refreshing to, to hear you say that i don't know if there's did you have any take on that dichotomy and how and where we are now with it like where do you think yeah continue in the future
2: yeah so if you if you i can't recall exactly because there's so many things going on i think it's ey or one of those big consultancies just did a. have seen a few actually every year it's the same it's like surveys on call it tradfi institutions basically who's using public and who's would you use public and who's using private and it's just a, a steep kind of up curve for the adoption mm. of public chains and look there's a world for private chains because there's a world of Banks that aren't going to do anything and they talk a big game and they don't want to leave anyone. I'm not going to name names, but uh, one of the biggest investment banks in the world, I went and pitched our whole concept and ideas years ago and they went, This is amazing. And I said, Wow, man, let's get serious There's no way in the world we're ever doing any of this. We're not letting our customers out. We want them stuck in deals. We want to take them for their fees. I mean, he he was joking, he was saying it in a jokingly way, but he was he was also, ha, yeah, that's what we do. And I was like, wow. Um, okay. So <laughs> anyway, I never started all this stuff to compete with banks or do anything. Banks, I, you know, if banks can use us and we can help them. Great. But like this, this, there's two worlds going on. There's, there's ABC bank doing their own private chain, talking into all the conferences about how they love blockchain and all we're going to do stuff. Our and they're just a bank doing their own private, you know, it's just a bank. because We all know how they operate. Mm-hmm. Then there's a whole new world, like what we're doing, new assets, um, startups. The, the crypto exchanges, the the grab financials, there's a whole new world like that's actually what you're seeing right now, which is not surprising at all, is banks are all adopting crypto and banks are now, and they always have, and there's a renewed push to screw crypto companies over by kicking kicking them out of the bank so they don't have bank accounts. And bang, the, the bank pops out and they're doing all the same services and selling crypto and all that kind of stuff. So... That's probably good overall price action, number of buyers, all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But that's the world, right? It's like it's the banking system, and then it's everyone out, and um,
0: yeah,
2: it, that's the. It's almost like the war that goes on, and it's kind of fun, and it's not really like a friendly competition at all. It's like all-out war. But you know, at the end of the day, we're not full crypto, and we love crypto. IX Swap even has its own token, um, and we're right in the middle, so we got to kind of play nice with everyone. <laughs> um, but <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, I think that um, you know banks will help the real world asset industry, and eventually, um, once they're busy tokenizing their own boring bank assets, they'll get demand and they'll start looking for all the exciting alternatives and all these other stuffs that that uh, is, is being worked on uh, out there. And even if they don't come, it doesn't even matter. Like there's a, there's world mm-hmm. being built without them,
1: and all the, but they're and all
2: the finance people. They're all moving to they have been for a long time. I mean, you guys have doing the same thing, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, this is where the action is. This is where the whole
0: financial world's being kind of redesigned. Exactly, it's, it's quite exciting to see the momentum growing as well. So just to recap, to confirm my understanding, when we talk about tokenization, it's all about you know representing ownership of an asset in a very efficient way. And that's effectively what Investex is doing. They're providing the tools for people to represent, which are you know, quite complicated objects, highly regulated assets in a, an efficient way, in a cost-effective way. And then the other part of that, if we can do that, represent that ownership in a very effective way, the next bit is the exchange. How can we actually exchange that ownership in the most efficient way? And you know, we think about securities and bonds and all this kind of thing, it's quite heavily regulated. It's very yep. manual, I imagine it's quite laborious. And that's where IX swap comes in, right? You're trying to automate and make the process of actually exchanging those assets as efficient as possible. And when you say automated market makers, you're actually you, sort of like smart contracts is probably, how, that's probably the, the buzzword I'd probably use, Try and like recreate and reduce the number of steps involved by just automating processes based on like, you know, predefined values. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Well, the simplest way to explain
0: the difference between
2: an AMM and automated market maker versus a traditional market maker is to start with the traditional market maker. And that's where you, you know, open up a uh, Binance exchange and you're buying BTC, USDC or whatever it is. And well, it's definitely not USDC, but it's <laughs> BTC, USDT. And you see all the different prices, right? All the bids and all the offers. And there's market makers in there buying and selling and, and making the making the market. So That's the market, market yeah. making. And they can be big and small and, and whatever. They can use their own money, outside money. Some of them have license, some of them don't. Um, that was the original global understanding of what an exchange is and how market makers look. And it's the same for mm-hmm. Apple stocks on NASDAQ, right? Same thing, looks, assets change, different players, same thing. The automated market maker was an algorithmically driven development where there wasn't all these different bids and prices. It just, it just priced an asset based off smart contracts and, and how many of those assets exist within a pool. So when you start a pool, there's different versions. i try and keep it simple. You bring your token A and token B mm. that have equivalent value on day one and then it starts trading and that moves up and down and then you have market forces. But when you go to buy and sell, just I want to buy token A, it just immediately calculates what the price is that second for you. And there's not like other prices, it's take it or leave it. And the difference as well is that the automated market making solution is crowdsourced market making. It's not. It doesn't mm. have to be a company or one person, it's anyone who has those tokens, who's legally hard to hold them can join the pool. So that's another key difference. You, you don't, you don't have crowdsourced market making from a traditional market maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was, and that was part of the innovation as well, because if you think about it and, and why Uniswap became so successful, because first of all, these big market maker guys in the big exchanges, they don't want to deal with all the small stuff, right? They only yeah. want the big stuff. So it leaves the biggest side of the market, because there's a lot more small guys than big guys, with no help. And so when Uniswap said to everyone, you guys can start a liquidity pool yourselves, and it's small. And then once you do that, go and tell everyone else who bought your tokens or that you're trying to sell them to, yeah, there's some liquidity here. It's small, whatever. Get involved. Put your tokens in. We can buy and sell. We'll create that market. So they've given so much to the the market. Um, Like Some of the now... Uh, I don't know the exact ones, but some of the biggest pairings, I don't know, Ethereum and USDT, whatever, they're deeper pools on Uniswap than they are on Binance and Coinbase. Yeah. So, you know, because there's also a side of the crypto market that's so anti-centralized anything. There's a side of that that refuses to, especially after the FTX debacle and all these exchanges stealing everyone's mm-hmm. money. But they'd rather have the AMM model for buying and selling, which, you know, there's, times where you pro- might get a better price on a centralized exchange for whatever reasons, they'd rather do, they'd rather stay in, in decentralized land. Mm-hmm. Um, and or well, the other key point, at least on the crypto side of Uniswap was you were, you, was you never gave your coins to anyone. That was a big, that was a big part of it. Yeah. I want slightly different because um, smart contracts alone can't legally custodize a security token. There's gotta be a licensed player. So. We slightly, we don't, it's a slight change behind
1: it. No, that's great. That was great. A description actually, because I think automated market makers, AMMs are quite hard to describe actually, if you're not having a bit of background in this. And I think that was a really nice way of doing it. I think it's also very web three in the sense that, as you said, it's a crowdfunded thing and it's very permissionless. Like anyone can come and join this pool of funds and the larger the pool, essentially the more stable that price should be. Right. So... Yes. It's similar to how, how, yeah, it's similar to how Bitcoin works. Anyone can join as a miner, anyone can pull their resources to help the network and secure the network. And then the bigger it gets, the more secure, in theory, it should get as well. So yeah, it makes sense that the innovation came out of the Bitcoin blockchain era.
2: That's a, um, and that's, that was one of the reasons I love, I saw, I think it's kind of a killer application for the space, but also it's crypto born, right? That, that's where the innovation yeah. came from and that. That's why all these maximalists kind of miss the point because, like, some of the best things that happen in the space, whether you're a blockchain a, a protocol maximalist, Bitcoin maximalist, whatever you're doing, some of the best stuff that happens is when there's a bit of this and a bit of that, and yeah. you know, this new way of doing things, and that's exactly what hybrid. Yeah, I mean, even in DeFi, decentralized finance, like up until lending, borrowing, staking capabilities in crypto, um, well, when that came a couple of years ago, the activity and the volume and the price went galactic. What is lending, borrowing, staking? They're banking services, right? Essentially, wow. <laughs> even if you don't like to hear that, that's what they are. It's just like, it's, you know, it's financial services, but then look, we brought that to crypto and bang, that, that, that did a great thing. So yeah, now we going with this one, at least we're going, we're going back in the other way and it's hilarious because you can say to people like, oh, you know, at the beginning I saw every token because at the beginning there weren't that many. I used to feed all the security tokens because, you know, Mm. they they weren't that many. They weren't very good. Actually, most of them were terrible, but I used to come along. The one part of the story wasn't that, but the real part of the story was every single issuer, I'd say 90% still today, and we probably have 10 to 20 discussions a day. um, Oh, this sounds great. I'll do it if you guarantee liquidity. It's like, what does that mean? They're like, well, sounds great. Like, so you know, guarantee me liquidity. I'm like, well, here's a little unfortunate news for you. There's no magical market maker that doesn't know you, sitting up in the sky, dying to make your asset that we've never, we don't even know what it is, and therefore will guarantee anything at all. However, that's what we used to say, and then just leave it there. The next part is, however, we now have a system where you can be the market maker which of course, if they're not super crypto native, they could have crossed their eyes and have a bit of a brain fart and say like, what? Mm -hmm. like, we've got this system where you can start first liquidity pool because no one else is going to do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's another side of this. Like there's no one else is ever going to do it. So if you want to do it, you do it. And then they go, oh, how does this work? And then some, some of them start to really go, wow. Okay, this is really interesting. And you know, where we go, try and get them started and set up and get them out
0: there. Is that that's again a really good point. I think one of the things that I find quite refreshing is what I assume are your views on the regulation of digital assets, which probably weren't the views of people in the space maybe 10 years ago. Could you just give a bit more, maybe flesh to the bones, on what you think the role of regulation is and should be going forward for digital assets?
2: So, if I separate between
0: crypto and real
2: world asset tokens, the crypto is evolving, but getting more clear in different jurisdictions around the world. There's a lot of stuff I completely disagree with, but I'm not writing those rules and there's a way to play. That's what, that's how I look at it. So, and if you're a company in crypto, go somewhere that treats you the best and that's as good as it's going to get, right? Unfortunately for American friends, they're getting absolutely pummeled and you know, um, I think that'll change. Uh, I, I bet that would change, but up until now, it's been extreme. Pain. They're leaving, they've got to leave and go somewhere else where they can run innovation and businesses and, and even like Singapore has become like definitely number one hub in, in Asia for blockchain. And so many discussions, I had a token two two weeks ago. was like, wow, it's pumping here and, like, it's great. In Asia, we also don't have like the US dollar to protect and we're not like complicated in the EU it's all these members and everyone, you know, it's too mm-hmm. many cooks in the kitchen, all that stuff. So. On the digital asset and the crypto side, it's getting more clear and, you know, it is what it is. Like there's ways Mm -hmm. to do it. And some people are retail only, some are accredited only, whatever the rules are. So that's good. And that's progressing. And, you know, UAE is trying to now become the latest and greatest. And, and, uh, you know, Hong Kong's turned on the tap after being years of like, we're not doing anything. On the real world asset side, the security token side, every country has their own securities regulations. What's interesting Mm -hmm. about security tokens is, and, and as I said before, you don't need new regulations. Now there should be updates and there should be upgrades. And there's two ways to think about this as well. Most people are in a tokenized security world where there's piece of paper, we're tokenizing a share. That piece of paper might be a Singapore fund vehicle. So, you know, it's a digital representation and then there's, there's things going on there. So that's what a lot of the world's real-world real world asset tokens are today, security tokens are today. Um, and that'll go on forever, I think. And then there's the other side. There's in parallel, we have this, um, let's call it paperless-based security tokens, which essentially are things like DAOs. Like a DAO mm-hmm. is the very first security tokens because there's no paper. Um, the challenge there has been no government in the world considers Ethereum to be a country. So, you know, a lot of the DAOs have to back into companies. Otherwise, they start getting called illegal securities and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But look... So my point is that on the real world asset side, there's already enough rules in place. There's ways to do things, so it's really a matter of like you got to go old school and get licenses mm. or find licensed partners, and that's been our position since day one. And how I think about it, it's it's evolved over time. I used to be a bit more, you know, everyone should will want to take their security tokens and put them in their own ledgers and all the fun stuff, and that's going to be possible. The the, the important part about that is, and then what do you do with it? And the answer is <laughs> nothing. And and security tokens are not like Bitcoin, right? You can't just come and steal someone's security token and then sell it somewhere else because it's not just, it's not private key based. It's like attached to an asset based and the asset needs to know who the owner is and the owner needed to register because that's how the world works with equity. So if I steal your STO, it's like me stealing your piece of paper and it doesn't work. That's the simple version. So you don't have that problem. Okay. Maybe the banks are coming and stealing people's cash, but no one's really thinking the banks are coming and stealing your shares of your real estate. Yet, you know, um, but so that's not really a problem that the world's thinking is coming uh, today. But, but I think that if you think through what I was saying at the beginning, which I believe in, you know, the real value of tokenizing here is lending, borrowing, staking, plugging into an AMM, distributing on a different platform. Da 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 da. Well, I don't want to deal with that on my ledger. Just like I, that's why people buy crypto on on Binance because they don't want to deal with anything and they want all the services there and they just want to click around and hopefully you don't get your money stolen. And it's the same for interactive brokers, right? Like, what's the point of taking my Apple stocks off interactive brokers? Like there is no point. Actually I don't even own them there, right? No, most people don't even know don't even own your stocks. It looks nice. I got a little uh you know this is how many dollars I have each day and it says that many stocks I don't even really own them. But anyway, the point is that I trust the system enough and interactive brokers enough that I can leave them there and loan and margin and take it out and send my money back to whichever bank. And that's how I think security tokens are going to work. So although technically you can do things like send them peer-to-peer and all these kind of things, I just don't think people, let's think about one of the best statements I heard the other day. was like It was a discussion around UX UI for Web3, Web 2.5, Web2, which is a big discussion point. How does the whole thing work when you're using it? And it was like, we don't use those terms in our company. We just say, what do humans want? What do humans mm. do? And build that. And so what do humans do with securities? What do humans do with crypto? There's a very small percentage of people that live on DEXs. Most people live on centralized exchange. Even after FTX, like, stole everyone's money, the you know, go to CoinGecko or, or CoinMarketCap and you look at, like, the trading volume on the centralized exchanges and it's just where it's a super dominant force of nature. People still leave all their coins on exchanges. So that's what I think is is interesting about security and even now we've learned that from our own platform where we started off metamask going everyone own your own like deal with it take care of it and then people are like sounds great man i'm not you know i'm not doing i don't want to touch any of this stuff me. <laughs> like it was like what that's from individuals to banks to <laughs> everyone you, you do it for me so I don't, I don't want to touch it and you know it's just just you know here's some money i got a friend send me money like pay, like there's a pay now system here it's like Digital banks just send me money. I'm like, why would you send me all this money? And they're like, oh, can you buy that thing from me? And I send it back. No, I'm not dealing with it. Like, what? That's not how it works. That's not the system. But the point is that that's how I think a lot of the marketplace will be in terms of where's the volume of users and just giving people what they want. And you know, of course, self custody is possible and all that. But I think that there's a lot more scalability if you if you mirror more of what people are used to from a UX UI perspective. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really like that point. And I think me and Jack came to that realization maybe like six or seven episodes ago. We were so deep in the tech and so deep in like the theory of Web3 you're like, look at all these cool things, you know, full empowerment, full peer-to-peer exchange, all this kind of your privacy security stuff. And you realize most people don't care. They care about the user experience. Like, it's the same with GPT. The reason that's taken off now and that's the buzzword is because of the user experience. Like The yeah. underlying tech maybe yeah. isn't that great compared with competitors. And I think yeah. that's something that all products in Web3 and all companies based around the principles of Web3 need to realize is that the fundamentals to a lot of people actually don't matter that much. They care about their day-to-day benefits and user experience. And I'm really glad you made that Point well, yeah, we've had to. I'm not going to name platform or product, but we've actually had had a discussion
2: recently. I said, like, I know we built the best possible version of this let's just say version, not UX UI, just like, are we using blockchain? There's no banks, there's no paper. This is just amazing, but because people have to do this, this, and this, and bridge that and go to that second layer protocol to do the da da da, not like let them buy it with visa. And it's like, no. And I was like, all right. Then they won't buy it. Right. Well, let them do a bank transfer. No, we can't have that. I'm like, okay, they won't buy it. So yeah. we've even on one little project we were doing, it was painful because it's, the, it is the best version of itself, but it's ahead of its time. It's got to come back mm. and, mm. and do some baby steps, which sucks, but is what it is, you know, and then still have that there, still have the great version for the super degens and the guys that know what a bridge is and the guys that know how to do X, Y, Z. And then for everybody else, which is like nearly everyone, can we just build something that they're used to clicking where in a payment method that they understand? Otherwise, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to grow that fast. So everyone yeah. agreed, but yeah, it's interesting about that. And if you think about why, we and again, we've proven this in crypto, which is a good analogy because cryptos you know the dna of crypto was like a new world of money and we own it and no one else can take it off me and it's self-custody all right so why is everyone trading on uh, centralized crypto exchanges oh because it's easy i don't know how to use the Dex. i don't want to deal with the metamask like so <laughs> the value proposition's there but 99 of people went now nah. you know ux <laughs> so we've got to build like that in this space and even the hardcore Web three platforms, I think, need to build more like that. Otherwise they just assume that everyone knows what they know. And most of those, most of that knowledge for those founders, at least, or those product teams is a couple of years in the weeds and losing coins and all the fun Mm -hmm. stuff, right? Um, Yeah. yeah. And that's why why they know
0: most other people don't have three years to work this stuff out, right? yeah and that's why web 2.5 is so important because you kind of the techies think they know what the end goal is but users are used to a certain way of thinking a certain user experience and you need to take them on that journey where you're making those little steps And i think that's something that you're doing at investor obviously yeah and a lot of the
2: big vcs won't say this out loud but that's exactly what they've been doing yeah. and they've been doing it for a long time yeah they'll always promote the and they are investing in web 3 and all that kind of stuff but like mm. you know it's there, there's already been the guys that have been deepest in the space investing for many, many years have also been in many projects already that were ahead of their time from a UX UI, they were ahead of their time from ado- adoption um, and, and mm-hmm. therefore there's much more business. And, you know, there's also in the last bull run, right? Like, oh, we're going to do a metaverse. and It's going to have 75 million people and it's going to be the next Facebook in there. And it was just like, no, nah, that didn't happen. And like, it <laughs> sounds great. But then again, like, what are you talking about from a UX UI? that's other than people clicking the Facebook button on their browser and staying in web two, sure, you lost a few people from there. I mean, even Zuckerberg got excited by the idea and everyone was laughing at him still, but I mean, that'll evolve, but that was just another kind of point in case related to trying to make sure we don't get over the skis on the onboarding side. You think about MetaMask as. One of the reasons Ethereum still dominates, it's because of MetaMask and, and all the on-ramps and the rails, like most of the other protocols that, so we've integrated with five public protocols and we're about to integrate with another four and three of those protocols, which I won't name today, there's nothing happening because their wallets are so complicated that our CTO couldn't work it out for an hour. It's like, it's like what's going on?
1: People, people lose the woods for the trees with this thing sometimes i think you can really overcomplicate things and you can lose sight of the actual problem you were trying to solve for your customers in the first place so yeah and, and speaking of which so you said you said about you know some of what you're doing being ahead of its time what do you think the future does hold for tokenization in general are there any kind of major use cases that you think will be most exciting and then yeah what are you guys what is in the future for investex yeah
0: yeah,
2: I got asked this this week actually, like which assets and the, which areas are pumping the most and where's the excitement? And of course, there was a little bit of talk about carbon credits and whatnot. We're, we're asset agnostic and industry agnostic because for me, a tokenized share is a share of anything. So, what you're seeing now is evidence that all different types of companies and industries are trying stuff like right? there's carbon credit tokens, there's uranium tokens, there's real estate, there's private there's startups, there's all kinds of stuff. And so I don't think about any industry going to be bigger or better than any other industry because uh, eventually I think that governments will stop issuing pieces of paper and the only way you can set up a company will be on a distributed ledger and then everything will be a security token, right? But so until we get to that point, everything's everyone's having a crack and everyone's having a go. What I think is more important is for people to think about, what I think is more exciting and interesting is all those other value propositions that I've mentioned about what you can do with tokenized security and STO, If you can, because then there's the multi-dimensional value and it doesn't have to, it could be anything, it could be real estate. So I think the, the most exciting place to build and what I get up after, you know, these crazy long days all the time is like, that's, that's where the magic is. You know, to me, it was all very obvious that, we tokenized shares because we've been digitizing everything, you know, the move from analog to digital has been going for a long time and email and paper and all that stuff. So it was just made a whole lot of sense. So that was that was the easy part to consider. And then now it was like that's a given. So if that's a given, which is now starting to come to fruition, how do you start building these other things? And I even tried to get into the lending, borrowing, staking of security tokens like a year and a half ago, contacted all the big DeFi platforms, said, Oh, we've we've got STOs and licenses and like, we can't do STOs. i like, know oh, that's what we have. You've got risk management and tech, of course they all have zero risk management. Um, and, <laughs> and, and when they did blow up, a lot of people were saying, well, okay, the, the blow up's terrible, but what it proved was this huge use case. So if we stop just lending tokens for other tokens and state yield farming token for token on the same token and use real assets behind it, that's a massive use case and that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, this is again, that. ICO, let's make it STOs, that lending bar in crypto, let's do that in um, STO land, that AMM model of crypto, let's do that, like, let's do that with the real assets. And so Mm -hmm. that's where, um, that's, that's the exciting kind of, I guess, cyclical where, where it's kind of all going. But I think, I think the most exciting part is building those new rails, right? That's just blue ocean Mm territory, like no one's, it's just new structures that come up with a brand new VC tokenized VC fund that that operates differently and has distributions and dividends and and is, that's the magic I think that's where uh, the, the excitement's going to be moving forward
1: yeah i totally see that i can see you know building the infrastructure for this hyper tokenized world is definitely is a huge opportunity mm-hmm. so julia it's it's been such a great episode i really enjoyed having you on we've got two closing questions we like to ask all our guests at the end Cause we like to see how the responses change and vary over time. So, um, if you, if you're happy, we're going to just, just throw these at you very quickly. Sure. So firstly, in one sentence, what is web three to you? I would say that uh, web three to me is the use of technology to
2: develop communities that exchange value that require that is run and, and, uh, you know, organized and run by that community with no third party in charge and and how all these people exchange value and communicate and it's all digital it's all blockchain That that's how i kind of see it there's a long sentence but that's what i think
1: mm. <laughs> no that was that was one of the shorter ones actually and i, I think it's the first time someone's mentioned called explicitly community in the answer which is really interesting because i think that is people don't understand how much of a community technology is sometimes so mm. yeah that was that was a great answer uh, and my second question then is so if you could pick anybody throughout history, so that means they can be alive with us today or they can be, you know, from any time in the past that you can sit down with and discuss Web3 with, then who would you pick and why? <laughs> um,
2: I would, I'd probably pick Confucius because I studied a lot of philosophy and I still listen to call it readings or scripts, whatever people that podcast this stuff, Alan Watts, he's one of my favorite guys. So I'd probably sit down with
0: him and find out like what he thinks about the world. That's, that's probably my choice. That's a good answer. I'm a big fan of Confucius too. So yeah, thank you for joining us, Julian. And thank you to those listening wherever you may be and join us next time as we untangle a little more of web three. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web 3, produced by Emma Camilleri.
1: Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web 3.
0: The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.